So yeah, where are we going? We just got back from a leadership tree with lots of fun. This church is very peaceful and people get along. If you don't believe us, because you've been in churches, like a lot of us grew up in churches where people quite like cats and dogs and smile and pretend everything's okay. Um, anyone been in a church like that? Raise your hand. Let me see those hands. Raise them high. Amen. How are you? I see that hand. Um, yes, there's a lot of ministries. They're not, they're not pleasant places, believe it or not. And Christians sometimes defeat their own message by not getting along with each other. So it was lots of fun to uh, be with our uh, elders and deacons, their wives, and we invited some of our friends to participate from Kansas City, people who have been involved in this church. Some of them trained here, were discipled here, moved down the road, and now they want to start a ministry <clears throat> down there. Just a lot of fun praying together, casting vision. And uh, by this time, you ought to know that if something is on my brain, you're going to hear about it. So I was teaching on the mind of Christ, and somebody asked me, are you going with that theme? And it's like, no can do, because I'm thinking about what just happened. And I think you guys, probably if this is your church, you'd appreciate knowing where we're going. And we got some new faces here, and you might be saying, I wonder what this funny little church that doesn't have a church building but owns three houses and does two hours of training every Saturday and has all these people going into ministry, what in the world are they about? So, uh, yeah, let's jump in. And uh, so where are we going? Where are we going as a church? We're making some big changes. Big changes. We don't Trying to think, we really did a lot of praying on the retreat. This is what I wanted to do. If you study the book of Acts, the, the, the people in the book of Acts, that's a model for us. When we started this church, how many years ago? I'm bad numbers. Four years ago, we started with a study in the book of Acts. What were they doing? And the goal is let's try to imitate. Well, they prayed a lot. And they really wanted to find God's heart, God's mind, and that's how they made their decisions. So these changes uh, are shifts, but we're not just doing things because we feel like we're losing your attention. And so we're going to build Disneyland out back so you'll move your kids. Or I was teasing someone this morning and saying, here's our vision. The Bible Schneider Stadium. We'll try to get people there for a half hour every week. We can get 10,000 there. You know, we'll have one of the biggest churches in you know, Kansas. We're going to hire Bon Jovi to do the worship. That ought to bring him in. Um, we've got some of the biggest businessmen in the community on the elder board. You know, so we're, things are moving. We're so excited about no, none of that. Uh, but I'm going to tell you where we're going. And uh, to do that, I want to talk about where we've been and why we're going in that direction. But before that, of course, you got to start every good sermon with. Yeah, prayer and scripture. Amen. Prayer and scripture. So, uh, Let's look at what they did in the book of Acts when they detected that changes needed to be made. Acts chapter 6. People don't carry Bibles anymore. This is when in old school you hear all the wrestling, wrestle, 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 wrestle. 
And Ethel brought her husband to the book of Acts. Practiced it in 20 years. But um, everybody's wrote, nobody does that anymore. They just get out their phone and punch in Acts. Or they just look behind them. We have technology. Okay, so here's, here's how the first church did it. At that time, Walt had disciples, that's you guys, and the leaders, were increasing in number. A complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews. Now, one of the reasons we study is so that when you see words like that, you don't go to tell anybody about it. What are Hellenistic Jews? Well, in uh, <laughs> ancient Israel, Alexander the Great had taken over the Mediterranean world, and so you had uh, Jews that were highly influenced by the Greek culture, and you call them Hellenized. And then you had kind of old school Jews, they were probably raised uh, in Israel, maybe in Jerusalem, and they're, I'm trying to think, maybe like Amish, you know, Christians. So you got your hip contemporary Christians and you got your Amish Christians, um, but they're, they actually had different scriptures. You had the Greek Septuagint, they're different cultures. And so out of these, these different types of Jews, they're becoming Christians, I guess in America, it's almost like a little bit like different races, but not exactly, but it's, it's really heavily influenced cultures. And so you have the ones that are influenced by the Greek culture, and then you have the old school ones that are more true to the, the, their roots. And then you have the native Hebrews because their widows, these Greek ones, were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the church, Right there, you see that the church is not you sitting in a pew for an hour a week. If you think that is church membership and that is church involvement, you're just deceived. Let me let me just like blow up your church paradigm. Church is not sitting in a building for an hour a week. They're taking care of their elderly here. And there are women who don't have husbands to take care of. So anyway, that's another sermon for another day. So, but they said, hey, the easiest way for us to do this would be like races. One group says, you know what? It seems like that race is being given privileged uh, treatment in the church. And the leaders of the church say, that's really bad. That should never happen in the church. But it's not exactly that. It's, hey, those of us who are raised in this culture, don't seem to be getting the same kind of treatment. And our, our widows don't seem to be getting the same kind of treatment. So the leadership said, we got to solve the problem. We need to adjust how this church is moving forward. So they create a new flight of leadership with new tasks. And that's kind of exactly what we're doing. We're not overlooking widows in the daily serving of food, but our church is growing and changing. And, uh, this church started because a bunch of college students wanted to be pushed. That was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Because <laughs> you guys have grown up and a lot of you got married and now you're having kids. And we still want college students. So we still want to train college students. But the whole, you know, demographic of this church is in just four years. Radical. It was a it was a room full of college students when we started, um, which is great. We, again, if you're from the college, we need to stay connected to the college. So we're not trying to scare you off. Help us to figure out how to keep our, you know, tentacles or whatever hands. 
It sounds like an evil creature. Yeah. I love the tentacles. Our loving hands uh, extended to the college. Um, but we're just different now. So we've shifted and we've changed. Um, and it used to be basically we taught everything. Well, another thing is that we're going to go over this here in a minute. Um, we've trained some of you guys. And we've created, we're creating right now a two-year program. Um, stuff you're just, most of it you're not going to learn in seminary. And it's super cool. So I've been, I've been to some of the best Bible-believing schools, and I have three theological degrees. And I've studied this stuff, and I'm like, why isn't, why aren't the seminaries teaching this stuff and exposing this to these people? <clears throat> so those are a lot of the stuff we're getting into seminars. But then some of you are like, hey, I want to learn all that stuff. And uh, boy, ministry is pretty cool. And I'd like to learn more too. And a lot of you have gone on and done master's level work or Bible college or whatever. A whole bunch of you. Some of you guys have moved down the road. Some people have gone on to be pastors. It's like heavy training environment here. And uh, so it used to be these college students, but now some of you have really learned well the stuff that we're trying to teach. You've gone on to other kind of training and you want to teach. And so I'm not the only game in town anymore. I'm not the only guy who knows about the Welsh Revival, the Great Awakening, or John Hyde, or the Reformation, or post-Reformation dogmatics, biblical criticism. And some of you guys are like, you need to go, well, you need to come to the seminar. But on the retreat, we actually said, you know, we've got at least 10 people in this church who need to start stepping up and taking some responsibility. So all that to say, here the church has needs and is shifting and, and has issues that are raised, so they make an adjustment. Let's see what adjustment they make. So the 12, these are the leaders, the teaching, leading, vision casting, leaders of the movement. They said it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables, <clears throat> which means the ministry of the word and prayer and spiritual direction takes a lot of time and energy. And it's not the best use of people that are gifted in those departments to be setting up chairs before the service or directing traffic or serving tables when they could be leading people to Christ or casting out demons or teaching a, a bunch of people uh, deep biblical truths like who Melchizedek is. We'll get to that in a minute. So it says it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's like taking your PhD at the university and saying, hey, would you uh, do security detail for us? Uh, I, yeah, I want to know about you know, fraud. Like I said, it's not the best use of your people. So like, well, let's distribute the labor so that this becomes a very efficient machine. <clears throat> so he says, let's make a new flight of leaders. Therefore, select from yourselves seven men of good reputation, godly character. Uh, that's kind of number one priority around here. I don't care how much you know, if you're not honest, full of integrity, not a self-seeker, really cultivating your own spiritual life, we're not interested in what you know, what you can do, and how beautiful your voice is. So first priority, good reputation, full of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, wisdom. What's wisdom? They can give you good advice. Don't be dating this girl. <laughs> Run, run from that, brother. That's not a good situation. Hey, should I, uh, you know, get take a hundred thousand dollar loan for something I don't need? No, no. Let's learn financial management. So they have wisdom, and say, let's put them in charge of this task. We'll devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So 
The leaders are saying, hey, this is a need. Let's take care of it. Let's, let's expand. Let's pass out responsibility. Let's delegate as we grow and develop. And then the leader said, but we'll devote ourselves basically to what God's called us to do and what we're trained to do, which is the most essential ministries in the church, which is the ministry of the word and prayer. <laughs> it is so important. And I, a lot of us go to the church didn't even have a prayer meeting. Well, if you don't have a prayer meeting and a good prayer meeting in church, you don't have any miracles. Because a prayer meeting is where you make contact with God, and we have a lot of miracles in this room. If you're new, last week we had a little thanks session. I mean, who was here for that? Were you guys just like, like amazed? We had three people who said, I was delivered from that. In this little church. Now, if you know anything about real life, you say people aren't just delivered from it. It doesn't happen. You're not just delivered from it. Yeah, yeah, you are. If you're in prayer and you're in touch with the Holy Spirit, and we have all, all kinds of crazy testimonies, but those were, and we didn't we didn't call them beforehand because we don't want to call anybody. It's just people coming up and saying, God's done this and God's done that. Where did it happen? The prayer meeting. So, okay, the leaders are like, look, we got to keep the prayer strong in this church. We got to teach them keep them in through the word strong. So we're going to find other really wonderful godly people, and we're going to give them this task. What's really interesting is these guys that they choose keep reading through the book of Acts. It's not long before they look almost exactly like the apostles in what they're doing. They're now preaching the word, and they're now working the miracles, but they're not, they're not too proud to say, hey, right now I'm not ready. I'm not where Peter is. Uh, where's the where's the brush to scrub the toilets if that's what needs to be done in the church? I'll I'll set up the chairs, I'll wait the tables, but they have humility, like Richard was saying, that they're not too proud to serve. Uh, and so when the, when the opportunity arises, they do the humble task, but then it's interesting because if you study closely, you see that's the kind of spirit that God can use, and it's not too long before they're doing really the same sorts of things that the 12 are doing. So but that's another sermon. Anyway, so the statement found approval of the whole congregation. The congregation said, hey, that's a great idea. Let's find those guys. Let's give them this task. And uh, they chose Stephen. And then just give you the, the, the list of these guys. And then you can follow Stephen and Philip and others as God then raises them up to be awesome in the kingdom. So I'm just showing you this. As the church moves and grows and changes and incorporates new people and has conversions and all this kind of stuff, has we've several babies, we've got all kinds of babies. We've got raining babies, we've got babies all over the place. The elders, we had three babies, no, we had more. Because we invited the KC people, babies crawling all over the tables. And I was like, just last year at the elders meeting, we didn't have babies. Things are changing. So we, now we have a children's ministry and we need people to step up and we need to figure out how to. So I'm going to tell you some of the changes that we're making. You need to understand some of the changes we're making. Uh, you need to understand where we came from, kind of where we're going. So, <clears throat> before we get there, if you are a born-again Christian, you don't just get saved so you go to heaven when you die. That is a shallow, immature, unbiblical understanding of why we become Christians. 
Now, maybe you were shallow and immature and unbiblical when you got saved. How could you be anything else? You were an infant in your understanding. You said, no, hell doesn't sound very fun. I'd rather be with Jesus. And that's how you got in the door. But then once you got in the door, like, okay, now let's deal with the program. What's the program? The program is to develop the mind of Christ and see the world as Christ did and function as you were created to function, which is to bear the image of God, bear the image of Christ. Become compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, great in kindness and faithfulness, and have the touch of the Holy Spirit on your life so that you're a bearer of the grace of God in this broken world. You're a light bearer. You're somebody that can bring people out of darkness. You can bring transformation. That literally, you become like supercharged, if you're doing it right, superhero. You don't have to be a pastor, you don't have to be a missionary. You can be a stay at home mom, you can be the local plumber. You can be a lawyer, doctor, school teacher, whatever. Um, UPS driver, whatever, but you're a difference maker. Why? Because you understand what the program is. You become a Christian. So I want to show you why we do what we do um, as a church. Here's Hebrews 5. I use this reference often, and it makes reference to Melchizedek. Should I? Tighten the fingers, Bruce. Who knows who Melchizedek is? Okay, so a lot of you do, then because most of you have been here for a while. But the author of Hebrews, who we're not quite sure who it is, could be Paul, maybe it's Apollos. He didn't put his name on it, but they said, man, this is such a great letter, and it's apostolic connection, so we got to put it in the Bible. He said, concerning him, who Melchizedek? We have much to say. We can't talk to you guys about it because you're dim-witted spiritually. This is my paraphrase. You become dull of hearing. By this time, you ought to be teachers. He's just talking to general Christians. By this time, you should be able to teach this stuff. You should be able to give a course on Melchizedek because you've been sitting here for three years. You, you don't even know who the guy is. Isn't that bad? Isn't that Jonathan's son who was such a good friend of David? No, that's Mephibosheth. We're talking about Melchizedek. Don't get him messed up. So, by this time, you ought to know a lot more and be teachers, but you still have people to, you have need of, for someone to teach you the elementary basic principles of the oracles of the Word of God of Scripture. You're not renewing your mind. You're not becoming more Christ-like. You got your ticket you have in your back pocket and you're pursuing the American dream. You're not pursuing the American dream. You're pursuing the Palestinian dream, the Israel dream, the whatever their dream was that everybody around them was doing. So that's not what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be get a new set of priorities. Seek first the kingdom, his righteousness. We're changing everything. The trajectory of our life, the value, how we spend our money, how we spend our time. You guys haven't been doing it. So he's rebuking them. You've come to need milk, baby food. Did you know there's sermon on salvation? Because I'm just not sure I'm really saved. What's baptism all about anyway? I'm baptized. I got saved 10 years ago. I didn't get around to being baptized. I mean, literally, he goes into this stuff in the next chapter. Why? I'm going over this baby stuff. You've been here two years, three years, four years. Need to be, so everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word. Again, that's the scripture. He's a baby. We don't want to be babies. If babies act like babies, it's fine. When 25-year-olds act like babies, it's a bad thing. But he says to the church, you guys are a bunch of babies. You haven't done your time. You should be teachers. <clears throat> Solid foods for the church. 
who, because of practice, they have trained their senses to discern good and evil. So, what is it? What does that mean? They've studied the scriptures deeply, and then they've gone out and practiced it. And you can put them in a hundred thousand different situations, and they're going to get it right and do the right thing, and God's going to win because these people are not the spirit of God because they've trained their mind and they've practiced. But he said that's not the case with this church. And he's talking well in our church. We want to be that church. We want to be a church where people know the word, where people are, are spend the time memorizing, meditating, and practicing so that they can go out and hit home runs in life. So our church is committed to discipleship. So we're not about warming a pew for an hour on Sunday, you know, and going to a men's barbecue before the Kansas City game, you know, it's about what we do. I mean, we have barbecues and things on the Kansas City game, but that's not what, that's not the centerpiece. The centerpiece is learning, growing, making a difference in the world. And while we're doing this, we get to see a lot of miracles. So we have discipleship houses. We got one women's house, woman's house right now. We got two men's houses. Most of the people in there are not, you know, uh, they're sometimes we get it. Probably most of them have been college students in the men's house thus far. Uh, we get some other guys from, you know, other walks of life who are serious about learning. And then we have this environment of guys that are serious about learning, praying, holding each other accountable, walking the walk. We can take in one, sometimes two, really broken messed up, sometimes homeless, sometimes addicted, sometimes out of prison, people, if they surrender to Christ, can watch God do just incredible transformation in their life. Now, this is really interesting. Um, I don't know if I should do this. Because I know it just seems like our church, it seems like a third of the people gone for some reason. But just for people who are new, how many of you guys and girls have lived in the discipleship house at some point, put your hand up really high. Yeah, so these are people, look around, these are people who have been committed to an intensive learning life transformation kind of a process. Um, and so that's that's why we have the houses. Uh, so, and the goal is that we don't care if you Three years after you become a Christian, four years, five years, it's like, dude, you're still living in porn. You're still sleeping with your girlfriend. You're still hard in bitterness. You're still lying to your mom. You're still caught up in materialism. You've never led anyone to Christ. You don't have a consistent prayer time. Why are you still acting like a two-week-year-old in the Lord? Even and so, this is a place where we teach, help people grow, and in the process. It's, it's a lot of fun. You develop amazing relationships, and God is doing some really wonderful things in the lives of. So, we also love to bring the broken because a lot of times they end up moving into the discipleship houses. And actually, a lot of our first leaders were guys that, you know, I'm trying to think almost all of them. Yeah, came through that program. So, this is we're making shifts. Our goal is discipleship. If that's where you're at, this is a great place for you to thrive and grow. We'll give you what we have to give you, and then we'll also help you if you want to develop further, uh, point you in some healthy directions, connect you with some of our friends, etc. So, uh, 
let's see. I'm going to really quickly just tell you how we got where we are, because again, some of you are new. My wife and I, Susan, came. Some of you uh, don't know her, but uh, anyway, I'm not But uh, yeah, she's she's actually kind of just like I'm the pastor to the guys, and she's kind of the pastor to the women in the church, even though technically she's not. People will call her pastor, but that she does the same exact sorts of ministry with the women that I do with the men. Why? Why doesn't she pastor the men and I don't pastor the women? Because I have no idea how to be a woman of God or a wife or a mother. I don't know how to deal with the woman's issues, you know, and she's got the same problem. She doesn't know how to be a man of God. So, uh, but she's pretty good at being a woman of God. I'm pretty decent at being a man of God. So anyway, we distribute the duties and then we train people up and then we hand off the duties. Once people, and that's kind of what we're going to be talking about here in a minute. But we came here with no intention of doing a church. None. I was like, we were in Ellsworth, and some, and our, actually, our, a lot of our first leaders came from that church because they're like, oh, you're starting a church. Richard's like, oh, you know, God told me to move there and help you. Even before I asked him, God told me to move here. He said, God's going to be starting a church. So start looking for a job. That sounds mystical to you. You know, learn about the kingdom. Um, Richard's really good at listening and obeying. It's one of his outstanding features. Everybody has a lot of, you know, every every disciple has some outstanding feature about them or 10. One of his is when he knows God has spoken, he will slash, burn, plow, sell everything he has. He is going to obey. So I said, hey, we'll start, help me start a church. He said, I'm a, I'm a month ahead of you. That's literally very close to the conversation we had. But uh, we came here with no intention of starting a church. I had a church in Ellsworth where basically we sort of raised Richard and Brandon and Brandon Isong and, and uh, Sierra. And you know, I don't mean to overlook anybody, but a lot of people were here. We raised them from pretty shattered individuals to pretty cool, healthy, happening, fruitful people. And now they're married and they're having kids. But we were like, hey, that was fun. Now let's go do, you know, something else that we thought God was calling us to. A lot of miracles happened. Actually, uh, there was uh, Ty was a part of youth in that community, and he was lost as a goose. He was one of the nicest kids in the community, and we were that church where the weird people and the broken people went, and we probably had no idea what was going on there. And um, then I came to Manhattan. People were like, "Did you hear Ty got born again?" And then we started meeting, and we're like, cool, you know. So, anyway, so he's a part of the church as well, and it's been a load of fun. But in that community, God did all kinds of miracles. He said, We did what we were called to do, we brought together a broken church. We had we had an intensive discipleship going. He said, Let's go to Manhattan, and now we're going to do missions. We're going to go train leaders in poor countries who don't have any kind of theological education. We're going to help them get out of poverty. We're going to teach them how to, how to run a church, and we're going to get them rooted in ground in the word. And, strengthen them and help them, you know, teach their people how to farm better so they're not, you know, all, all, literally the country people even starve to death and drives dry season, totally unnecessary. Cool, that's what we're going to devote our lives to. And so I fly to Africa, right after we move here, and we have this big conference and we invite our, because I've been doing this already for a few years, and now I'm going full-time, we invite our guys from, let's see, we've got Zimbabwe, we've got Malawi, we've got Kenya, we've got Uganda, these are leaders of ministries, these are our ministry partners, and 
and I'm the big important guy in sunglasses because I'm the director and I'm a half a foot taller than everybody else. And so uh, we got big plans and we're going to make this big splash. As soon as I get home on the tarmac, it's like everything we try to do is going to hit the wall, hit the wall, hit the wall, hit the wall. Um, and it, in some ways, one of the most dark seasons of my life. It wasn't because I was doing something God didn't call me to, it was because God had something else in mind. And it wasn't even that he wasn't going to get around to having us do this ministry, but he had something else in mind that we could have done in a way that was going to work a lot better. Like involving a whole bunch of super cool people like you, not everyone, but a bunch of you guys, in this international thing that we're doing, which Michaela just came back. But anyway, this started falling apart. And uh, here's a picture of a trip I took my son on, and that's a, a school we built for these, a lot of these kids are orphaned. But anyway, we're just working with poor Christians, don't have education, don't have money. But everything like hit a wall. And our partners got hogtied. One of, one of our board members who actually, you know, he, he could have helped financially. His son had cancer. And I get a call when the plane hits the tournament. I built up the kind of wall I'm talking about. He's like, I'm out of commission for two years. Sorry. I can't do anything but keep my son on. And I'm like, what? You're supposed to be like my right hand guy on the board. And he's out. Um, and, and anyway, we're just hitting all these obstacles. Chaos overseas. Um, some of the people on the board that I didn't know really well because I carried the ministry almost just start resisting every decision I make. This isn't working at all. But while this isn't working, <clears throat> a few of the guys that I've mentored, discipled, are in town. A couple of them are going to college here. So we start a little discipleship house. And then they say, hey, I, I got a friend. You ought to talk to him. And he's got a friend. And you ought to talk to him. And they got a friend, you know, talk with her. And, hey, do you just, will you cycle him? Will she disciple her? And uh, so then we started on Sunday nights. That's what our table would look like. And that's just the guys. That's just when the guys were coming. And then pretty soon we had multiple tables in our little house. And we had all these college students like all over the place. And then so it could why? Because they want to be just they want to learn stuff. Like, I want to know how to pray. You mean I can pray the way that moves God? So, like, my lost friend is going to come to Christ? Yes. And it's been, well, I don't believe that. I, that's what I've been taught. Well, then that's what you're going with. But how might you be open to the possibility that you could actually move God through your prayers? Um, you know, you want me to learn scripture, you know, so I can, like, quote it, like, whole books of scripture? Yes, that's how everybody in history did it. My pastor said, that's crazy. Well, is the church you're coming from? Are there a lot of miracles going on? Okay, and I don't know why I'm pulling this file up. We had a little thanks session at our leadership meeting. Just Friday night, no, Saturday morning. I don't know, one of the two times. And one of the people said, what are you thankful for? This and that. And somebody said, the marriage culture that is developing in this church. That there are strong, godly marriages. I'm trying to think. I think we have the longest running marriage. We're working on 30 years, not quite there, but working on 30 years. And then McKibbins, and then, but then we got other younger couples. Uh, I was talking to 
Nikki and Richard. And I said, you guys have no business having an amazing marriage. You know, Richard's family is shattered for generations. His dad is, you know, in California and uh, hasn't been involved in his life for a long time. He just, he, he was really psychologically basically destroyed by his stepfather, Nikki. You know her story. She, I'm just off and blessed. And then we have a marriage since like a couple months in here. It's just one of the one of the blessings that are happening in this church. Because look how you do that. You do a good marriage. What does the Bible say about marriage? I'm insane, you know. I can just talk all day about the miracles of God, but um, but the people that are depression, anxiety, institutionalized, in jail, you're fruitful, healthy, happy, thriving. Can you do that? Can you find the word of God? So these young people, a lot of them have been in church, but I want to learn to do this in a way that works. So then it's growing, and then somebody says, Hey, let's do it. It's this guy right here in front. Ooh, Escobar. He's now uh, married to a wonderful girl named Brooke, and they're in Kansas City now. But uh, he's like, Why well, don't we do a conference? You know, okay. And so, two weeks heads up, we start saying, Hey, let's do a conference. And this, I couldn't find a picture of the first year conference. This was the second one we did. So then we did a conference, and then I'm discipling 20 guys. Susan's discipling umpteen girls. And th those are intentional discipleship relationships, not including the people on the periphery that are like, I'm really interested, but I don't know if I want to go to the whole nine yards yet. And so we're going to another church, really good friends with the pastor. And the pastor's like, you guys are going to have to start a church. It's not because we're having problems, because what you do is unique and you can't just slap it on the side of a church. So we're like, we have no intention of starting this church. I had no intention of being a pastor again, even though I had a great run in Elmworth. I was like, so this was an unintentional church. But it is not, we never started for us to have a big crowd with warm pews on Sunday morning. And so some people might come and say, wow, that ain't much of a church. Okay, well, if you think so, we'll warm a pew. But well, we get to watch God do in the lives of individuals is phenomenal. And a lot of people are going on into ministry positions, leadership positions, which is not God's, even God's will for a lot of you guys. God needs professionals. God needs business people. God needs police officers. I thought I wanted to make Richard into me when I was younger. And Richard's got, I want to be a police officer. And I was like, what well, kind of like it if you were me? Um, <laughs> I think I want to be a police officer. And finally, we figured out that he's supposed to be a police officer, right? So, we're not here to make you all missionaries. We're pastors. We're here to make you godly, Christ like, difference makers. Because um, God needs people in every facet of life. So, anyway, we started with these conferences, and then pretty soon we realized we needed to create a church. But it's always been discipleship centric. We are here for intensive discipleship. We're here, so if you're here for two years because you're a college student, you're going to grow like you may never grow again in your life. I remember when Hyson gave a testimony. We started doing this in Elkworth. He and another guy gave a testimony on Sunday, what they had learned in a year. And he's like, well, I memorized, I can't remember, exactly, five books of scripture, I read like 20 Christian classics, been to Africa. He's like just talking about all this stuff. I was like, 
I'm, I'm serious. I'm not exaggerating with the five books of scripture. Five whole books. I'm like, that's amazing. What? And, and so that's what we do. We're, it's an intensive growth place. If that's not you and you still get blessed, kind of hang around the periphery, we'll go up and hang around the periphery. We don't care. We'll go to seminar every now and then. Come on Sunday morning if that's all you want to do. But we're really created for the people that want to quote unquote or drink out of a fire for a little while. People move here. Joe, you know, moved here from out of state. It's like, I really want to do what you're doing. I want to be a part of that. Jason actually is interesting. Just brag on people around me. Because we're going to talk about Jason in a minute. Uh, he, <laughs> engineering is kind of, sorry, everybody in college. I did some engineering program. It's just kind of next level hard. I, I knew that even when I was young. I had a friend in engineering. He's like, yeah, the rest of us are doing college classes and this guy's doing engineering. So now Jason's super smart and he knocked it out of the park in engineering, which means what? It means you go get close to a six-figure job right out of college. And he's like, no, I think God's calling me here to do a much lower paying job. Why? Because that's what God's asking me to do so I can learn and grow. Um, and it just so happened that smack in the center of God's will, he found his dream girl and he's filling his created destiny, which the devil tells you, if you don't go get that big job and do what everybody in the world tells you to do, you're never going to come listen to him. Smack in the center of God's will is the best place for you to fulfill every desire, good desire in your heart. Amen? <laughs> so, anyway, we're going to be talking more about it in a minute. But uh, so, different people are like, hey, we're going to hang around, we're going to grow. And that would inevitably happen. But some of those people move down the road. Think of Joel, last house leader. He's at Midwestern. I think he's an associate pastor or something somewhere. And Blake, and he went to Midwestern. And he's now he's working in some church down. What's he doing? Campus ministry. He's doing campus ministry at uh, Missouri State. Yeah, he's just like a campus leader. So people about that. But um, some people stick around. And we're going to be talking about some of those folks here in a minute. But anyway, so that's what we do. That's why we're here. So the changes we make are to facilitate our intensive discipleship ministry. And by default, since most Christians go somewhere on Sunday morning, we also have a church service. That's, that's literally, that's what this is. This is just kind of uh, overflow of the real stuff we do, which is the discipleship out prayer meeting, the one-on-one -on -one the, the uh, two-year um, seminars, yeah, like Richard said, lack of sleep, lack of caffeine, causes the brain to show certain So uh, now we're wrapping up the two-year thing, and I'm telling you, this next one, this next seminar, I'm so excited about it. I'll tell you about one and give you another identity. What should we be shooting for in terms of all the things that we're learning about we should want the presence of God to manifest in our midst. That's what we should be shooting for. Not to be eggheads, to win all the philosophical apologetic battles. With the, if I'm a Calvinist, I'm going to be the Arminian. If I'm a cessationist, I'm going to be the, you know, whatever, charismatic. No, we should want the presence of God to manifest. And one of the things that you won't study in seminary is the times when God's literal, actual presence manifests in the midst of Bible-believing, born-again Christians like us and takes over geographical regions. Some people call that historical revival. 
starting back in about 1720 and up until about 1920, it was pretty common. And God used to take over whole countries. A lot of pastors don't know this, but come to the seminar and I'll show you again and again and again and again how it happens. Beginning with the Moravians and then with the Great Awakening with Wesley and Whitfield and some lesser lights. Then there's a second Great Awakening and God takes over the entire country of America in 1858 and 1905. And in 1905, there was about 100 million Americans. That year, there was one million conversions across the day. That's pretty incredible. So we're going to learn. It's called, I think we named it, the Holy Spirit in History. So we're just going to go through all those times. And you're going to go, wow, I didn't know that. Wow, I didn't know that. Did that happen again? And then we're going to look at the principles and the things that all these people are doing that we don't do anymore that actually brought this about and how that lines up with that. So that's going to be pretty much my the, the final seminar because that's where we should all be heading. We've already done biblical survey. We've done Romans. So you guys all know the Romans wrote and a lot of you have memorized, some of you have memorized the whole book of Romans. And a lot of you have memorized chapters one through eight or you're working on it. Um, what are the other ones? We've done worldview, we've done all this stuff, but why? So that we can ultimately cooperate with God and see him do miracles in our midst. So that's that's gonna be one of them. That's on your side. I'm super excited about it because that's my favorite, it's one of my favorite, favorite topics. Because I know God can still show up. How do I know that? Because there's some of you in this room have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we see God showing up all the time. And all revival is this multiple. It's the exact same thing that we see and experience here intermittently. Just think about it resting. So look around the room at the different testimonies. Marlene is always in the front. There's 250 Marlenas in this county. Think about those kind of testimonies. I see Jessica in the back. What a blessing, man, that she's in church. Just, I, I'm just, she's certainly got some things to unpack, but she is alive. She loves Jesus, and she's in there. You got that. Then you got Donald. Then you got Donald, and, and you can't really embarrass Donald. And he's, you know, he was on drugs. He's one of the guys that's out of the way to come out. And he's always been on. God's transforming life. Now, think how many, how many people like that are in the community? There's tens of thousands. So just think about God. Think about having 250 of them in church. And then and then you've got some lit people in church. You're just on fire. Well, think about having 100 of those in one room. You know, they probably burst into flames. You know, they all have to run. But that's what revival is. It's what we're experiencing on a small scale, but it's just on a larger scale. And that's what you see in the book of Acts with the apostles, etc. So we're going to look at that in history. So, uh, so here, oh, okay, I'm back on the seminar. So we did the seminar. One of the things that I want you guys to learn, learn a book. I just finished the second edition. Uh, you can, if you absolutely don't have any money, I'll get you one for free. But most of you do have a little bit of money, and it did cost money to make them. So you can get a hard copy finally, or you can get a whatever Kindle. Um, and I did this because a friend wanted to have me do an audio book because I prefer audio book. Oh, but anyway, this is really to teach you guys the stuff in this book. This is the stuff, and a lot of you are not going to learn something. 
But should you go to seminary? Yeah, once you learn this stuff, then go to seminary as a supplement. If you think you're going to become some radical world changer because of what you learn in seminary or Bible college, you're kidding yourself. You're going to learn, you're going to become radical because you learn all this stuff. It's, it's, there must be more lost keys to the, to the Christian life, which we're looking through history at the things that the huge hitters and the world shakers actually all had in common that we've lost for the most part in the church. So I encourage people to do both, learn this stuff, and then go to seminary, learn your Greek, learn your Hebrew, learn about Thomas Aquinas, learn about classical theism, learn your eschatology, learn a lot of stuff. But without this, maybe you'll be able to become a professional pastor or missionary, but uh, you may be headed for some dry time. So anyway, this is what we try to teach. That's what our passion is for. And, uh, and then in addition, I also do the intro. We have a cool relationship going with Kent, and he teaches kind of a master's level theology, all the stuff that you would get at a normal seminary. He's a great guy, a really loving guy. A bunch of people, I don't know who all in here has gone through that or is in it. Anybody here? Ty, right? Okay. Ty, Jason. Yeah, we've got Michael. Oh, yeah. Um, Matt, one more deep. Yeah, so a bunch of people here. Yeah. Seaver. Yeah, we got all kinds of people. So this was in addition supplementary stuff. So I'm not saying it's worthless, but I'm saying the stuff that you really need to learn, a lot of it is not taught anymore. And that's what we're really passionate about teaching. And so cheers them a lot of them getting uh, degrees. Um, but that was a super fun. I was the only outsider allowed into that sacred meeting. It was a dinner and a whatever. So they asked him. Uh, oh, and then here's here's uh, one of our older discipleship houses where we had upstairs, we do a lot of our meetings, and here's us. We like to have seminars and bring in people who are maybe have an area of, of specialty, and here's people from Freedom in Christ Ministries who learn about the demonic and how that works and um, how to help people get set free, and a bunch of you guys have been, uh, have studied or been certified in Freedom in Christ Ministries, and et cetera. So what else do I got here? Nothing. So, um, <laughs> which one should I stop? stop on this one. So now, what changes are we making? Okay, here we go. Now, viewers, hopefully, you want to sleep with me. What changes are we making? I'm going to do a funny example, and everybody who's been with me this weekend can come over here and do it for me. But a lot of you haven't seen. Okay, this is me, and these ten fingers are all the time and energy and ministry effort I can put out. And this is our church. So I'm kind of locked in to our church. I cycle a bunch of guys. I teach all the seminars. I do 90% of the preaching. <clears throat> and that is what had to happen when we we're a bunch of ignorant college students or people that were just scraped off the road with this pastor. You didn't have anything to offer. Okay. Well, God is asking me now. So here's the church. Here's me to take a lot of my efforts outside the church, like with the guys in Kansas City, like Lars and Chance and James, because they're creating a super cool ministry and God's doing ministry, you know, miracles there. But Lars is begging me for some more training. He's an incredibly busy guy. He's got like the number one wedding video videography thing in Kansas City. He's got the number one like personal training gym. He's got his training division on athletes. One kid that we led to Christ in one of his seminars going to be coming here to play for K-State next year, which would be wonderful. He's a super busy guy. He doesn't have time for seminary. He's like, could you please help me fill in my gaps? 
and help us figure out where God's taking us as a family prayer meeting they've been doing for a year plus. I want to work with them. And so we invited them to our leaders meeting and Lauren basically does anyone have prayer requests? He's like, Thank you. please come help us. Is that all right with you guys? Lars, how many of you guys have been blessed by that? He shot all the videos of all the testimonies in this church. And if you haven't watched them, please go watch them. You want to hear miracles? And so, reason he came here, he said, What in the world's going on in the church? I've never seen this before. I've never, and he was friends with Sophia when the devil had Sophia, but you know, in total darkness. And God delivered him. He's like, What in the world's going on there? So, he comes up and he shoots video. It's like, But I don't have time. For some, would you come help me? So, and we have this international ministry that God has now taken off the back burner. He goes went to Uganda, and, and Michaela's involved in Uganda. So, we want to go to Uganda and help them do the stuff that we're doing here. We got, a, we got the leadership of the ministry she was affiliated with, like, come over and help us. But this is all the energy and time I got. So, what's going to happen if it's no longer in the refuge here? I guess we're just, let's close in prayer because we're going to shut the door because it's all going to fall apart. No, God has raised up a bunch of people right here who can teach and who can carry a lot of this weight that I used to have to carry when we were just a bunch of college kids who didn't know much. And so even on the prayer, on the, at the retreat, we were praying and we we're like, yeah, this kind of people, actually, I was as high as 13 of them. Of this small group who are pretty darn good at teaching, um, and we need to give them opportunity to start using their gifts. And so we're like the other seminar that kind of is going to round out the two-year program. And you can jump on at any point. <clears throat> but it's kind of essential doctrines. So there are 12 weeks, so let's say there's 10 essential doctrines that every equipped Christian ought to know about. We've got probably at least 10 people in this church that could teach each one of those or one of those well if given an opportunity and so we're like well let's assign a bunch of those to this group once we invited them to be a part of this core of teachers and that will free me up and then we've got even more people maybe they haven't done that kind of hard level theological work but they got it going on in their spiritual life and things are happening God speaking to them, they could easily cover a Sunday. I mean, they, there's people that, that have something to say that will feed you, challenge you. Maybe they didn't finish or you know, do master's work in theology or whatever. They couldn't teach a, you know, do, do a breakdown of you know the five views of sanctification and the Bible believing book. They couldn't do that, but man, they they're they're hearing from the Lord, they're being the Lord, cool things are happening, so they can challenge you. So we we've got this huge pool of people that can cover. If I am in Africa or I'm spending some time in Kansas City. And so those are the shifts we're making. And I don't know if any of you have ever noticed this. I'm not very good at organization. I can do it, but I tend to break out in a rash and a cold sweat. And, and you know, and I, I haven't had to go to therapist. I'm just not great at it. Um, but there's a lot of responsibility when you even have three houses and say you have. 20 total people in those three houses, some of them with big problems. And so you need a leader in each one of those houses. And we got money coming in. And so we have to, you know, we're, we're giving money away and we're renting buildings and we're starting to pay salaries. That's all details and 
So uh, it would be really good if we could get someone on board who's a little better at that kind of stuff than I am. So this was one of the decisions we made that we were in prayer for is we would like to have Jason come on full time. So he's not always out setting up people's entertainment systems, which he doesn't feel that's what God's destiny for him is. But he, but he, he's the one that walked away from the lucrative life he could have had as an engineer because God called him here. I've been telling him for a long time, he's a pastor. He's not just a detail guy, he's also a pastor, he's also a person. And I think in some respects, he's more of a pastor type gifts than I am. Nurturing, gentle, you know, this eyes on the whole flock. I'm kind of like a whole. And it's so we're like, everyone's like, let's let's bring Jason on. Let our church grow. Let's develop this team of teachers. Let's bring Jason on board. To, to, he already oversees the houses. Um, and, let's, and, and so this is that's the main thing we're going to do. We want to do in the near future is bring Jason on board. We also want to develop this team of, team of teachers who's going to frame me up. Um, but I'll just, I'll just shove my hand here or be honest with you guys. Uh, some of them may teach a seminar or two at the beginning, and they're not going to be the greatest teacher in the world. Um, but they will call the teaching. And, uh, and you are going to learn, you're going to grow. But as you're not just here for you, you're actually here for them. So we're going to be praying for these guys and cheering them on. And if someone's just utterly deplorable with no hope at all, we'll eventually have to tell them, dude, you may feel called to teaching. You may think you have the gift of teaching. No one's got the gift to listen to you. So you're going to have to go, you're going to have to go find something else to do. But I'm guessing of all of these people, I stole that, by the way. That was That's not bad. <laughs> That might be my yeah. best joke ever. <laughs> but I'm guessing that other people that we're we're identifying, some of them might be a little rough, some of them are sweating bullets, some of them, you know, when they first come here. But over time, they're going to become really good at what they're doing. They're going to get over themselves and they're going to, the passion's going to drive them. They're going to realize they got a lot of good things. I'm teaching it because I'm on fire about something. I want you to do it. I want you but in the plane and pray. And if you have any questions, come talk to me. If you need prayer, come talk to me. If your prayer need is totally irrelevant to everything I've said, but you really need prayer, come talk to me. If you want to find peace with God, come talk to me. Don't, don't think that you know I'm only here for what I just talked about. Whatever's on your heart, uh, I'm here. If, if you're a young lady with a bunch of godly women, including my wife, we point you to. Um, but we don't want to miss those opportunities either. So, but let's pray together. And I hope this was helpful. And I hope you guys are excited as I am. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. I thank you for all the work you've done in people's lives, how people have grown. Thank you for the miracles that have happened, that other people are, are part of these miracles. Sometimes I'm not even around, which is great. It's not just about what Susan and Chad can do anymore. I thank you for raising up leaders, uh, godly marriages. And uh, Father, we just pray you receive glory through this church. We pray for missing anything or um, making any wrong move or going too fast or too slow. Lord, we just want to hear your voice. We want to do your will. We praise you. We thank you that we've made it this long. We haven't just made it. We're thriving. We have good relationships. We have money in the bank. We have a bunch of people at the prayer meeting. We've got three houses. We have lives that are being transformed in the name of Jesus. 
and we just look forward to more wonderful things being done in the future. And uh, Father, we just want to give you all the glory. It's from you and through you and to you are all things. You be the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.